Today on Growing Through Grace. We have the Holy Spirit to rely on to do the work in us and, and through us. For we who follow Jesus and, and even the early disciples and all, when we are born again, the Holy Spirit comes in us and then He falls upon us to serve. You're listening to Growing Through Grace with Pastor Jacob Elin of Morningstar Christian Chapel in Whittier, California. Now this week has moved along quickly, and we'll jump in by returning to our study from yesterday in Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 7, where the question is asked by Paul, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now this has been a great opportunity for Pastor Jack to emphasize to us the importance of the person and work of the Holy Spirit in the church today. So let's join our teacher as he now expands to us this vital and essential subject. Here's Pastor Jack. Samuel brought this horn of oil and he anointed David. And it says, 1 Samuel 16, that the Spirit of God came upon David and that he was with him from that day forward. Now, if you, you know, remember the story, when David years later got in trouble with Bathsheba and tried to hide his sin, when, when David was confronted and eventually had to confess to the Lord his failure there in Psalm 51, one of the sentences that he cried out to the Lord in prayer was this, Take not your Holy Spirit from me. He realized where his power lie. He didn't have any guarantee that that power would stay with him. He had offended the Lord. He knew it. And yet God blessed David, and, and, and I think it's Psalm 5111, I believe, take not your spirit from me. And, and the Lord did not. Don't cast me away from your presence. In, in the New Testament, so we have it in the Old Testament, we have it in the New Testament. In the New Testament, Jesus was baptized in the Holy Spirit. You remember he showed up to John, that he went into the water, that the heavens opened, and and Jah saw the Spirit descending like a, a, a dove upon the Son of God, and it stayed there. This is my beloved Son. Hear Him. And Jesus is anointed, if you will, for the ministry He is about to undertake by the Holy Spirit, John chapter 1. The prophets, in speaking about the Messiah, wrote, for example, in Isaiah, I think, chapter 42, this is my servant whom I have called, and my, the one in my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him that he might bring forth justice to the Gentiles. Isaiah 50, 61, verse 1, the Lord has anointed me, right, with the spirit to, to be a, one who preaches the good news to the poor and all. And you get those seven uh, short phrases about the ministry of the Messiah. And then you go to the New Testament and you see Jesus coming at his baptism to begin his public ministry, having you know the Holy Spirit falling upon him to empower him, if you will. Um, Peter so recognized that, that when he wrote or spoke there in Acts chapter 10, he spoke about Jesus of Nazareth, who was anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power going about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil, 
because God was with him. And so Jesus' miracles in the Gospels were not done by Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus emptied himself. He became a man. didn't rely upon his, his relationship with the Father. He emptied himself of that prerogative. He did the miracles that he did, the insights and all, by the power of God's Spirit. We know that because he's our example. We're to follow in his footsteps. We can't, we're not God, but we have the Holy Spirit to rely on to do the work in us and, and through us. And so uh, for we who follow Jesus and, and even the early disciples and all, when we are born again, the Holy Spirit comes in us. And then finally he falls upon us to serve. So if, if you go back to the upper room, there's 120 born-again saints now told to wait. The Bible makes sense. They're reading like they've never read. Man, it's making sense to me. You know, Peter preaching to the guys. He's got all kinds of ideas. Everybody's running around with the Bible. They're not to go out. And then Pentecost comes 50 days later, 10 days after the, the, the ascension of Jesus into glory. And the Holy Spirit falls upon these saints. Now, the good thing is we don't have to wait 50 days. If you are a Christian tonight, God would love to baptize you in his spirit. Separate experience. Need for power. And it is so exemplified in the book of Acts that you'd almost have to close your eyes and read real fast to miss it every time it pops up. In Acts chapter 2 on Pentecost, and you know the story, it tells us in in chapter 2, verse 2, that the disciples were sitting together. They were just waiting upon the Lord. They didn't work. It wasn't like this working up the Holy Spirit or some crazy kind of day. They were just sitting there together when the Holy Spirit came upon them. And everyone knew it. It gathered a crowd in the, in the early morning. Peter stands up to give a, a biblical basis for the response. You will read there of, of men speaking in tongues in a way that Everyone that was there understood in their own language. They were glorifying God. Peter, in the power of God's Spirit now fallen upon the church, preaches a three-minute message. And as he gets done, 3,000 people get saved. I mean, God opened the doors to the church, to, the, to salvation with a bang, you know? It was a big day, especially in the eyes of the saints. Of all of the manifestations, the things that you would see, um, as you read through the book of Acts, everything that happened on, on Pentecost never happened again. You will never find tongues being understood by men. You will never see tongues of fire standing on somebody's head. You will not read of a mighty rushing wind blowing through camp. Everything was unique to the introduction of this work of God's Spirit. And, and that's not unlike what God did a lot of times in the Old Testament when he, when he lit the fire for the offering you know, by himself. And then it just, they, now you keep it lit. I started, now you keep it going. So there, there are all of these works of God that are distinguished by, by things that were, were one-time gifts. Yet the result of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the saints is repeated time and time again. Boldness in ministry, a power in, in, in witnessing, tongues as a heavenly language offered to the saints so that when they don't know how to pray, they can bas- bypass their intellect and pray with God's help. A prophecy, fruit. You can go through the you know, go through the book of Acts yourself, and and you can discover how this keeps popping up. In Acts chapter four, 
when the church begins to be persecuted for the first time. And there are some legitimate threats upon people's lives. Uh, the church gathered together and they asked the Lord to strengthen them for the work ahead. And you'll read there in, in Acts 4, 31, 32, 33, that God shook the place that they were at and they were all filled again with God's power. It's almost like this baptism of the Holy Spirit is a dynamic kind of organic experience where you go to the Lord often and say, Lord, fill me. And he just kind of pours you out. And fill me again, come upon me for power. And so you read that in, in Acts chapter 4. In, in Acts chapter 8, when the gospel uh, was sent to Samaria because, you know, with the death of Stephen, the, the saints went running. And some of them carried the gospel to Samaria. The news got back to the Jerusalem church. There was a revival. They sent Philip to go and see how it was going. Miracles began to happen by Philip's hand. The place began to grow in ministry. God was just moving mightily. Philip had never done this before. What's his qualification? Well, I make a good hamburger and I serve tables well. You know, if you need more water, I'm the guy to get it for you. That was his qualification. He was just faithful and God began to use him. When word came back to the church in Jerusalem that things were going so well and there was this great growth happening, um, they sent Peter and John. You can read about it in Acts chapter 8. And they only came for one purpose. They came to pray for believers to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. That was their entire mission. You go make sure people are filled with the Holy Spirit. The question was, have anybody received the baptism of the Holy Spirit since you arrived? And Philip says, they're all getting saved. But, but that wasn't the issue. So they came to pray specifically for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And you might remember there was a guy named Simon the Sorcerer in town who, seeing the results of God's Spirit, offered to pay money to have that trick, if you will, in his back pocket. I want, I want to be able to manipulate and move people like that. And, and Peter had to warn him of his wickedness and, and about told him where to get off, you know, and that, that you, you're, you're really in the position where God's going to deal harshly with you. You better be careful he kind of backed away, but, but he saw the evidence of God's Spirit falling upon the believers in Samaria. In Acts chapter 9, when Paul is converted, where he receives the Lord on the road to Damascus, and a brother comes to him, a fellow named Ananias, to pray for him. We are told in Acts 9 that, that Paul was healed, that he was water baptized, and that he received the baptism in the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul will talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit given to him, especially this gift of tongue, this private time of being able to pray to the Lord, to intercede. In like manner, Paul, like he had Ananias' hands laid on him, began to pray for others in his life. You remember that he wrote to Timothy, stir up the gifts that are in you that was given to you by the laying on of my hands. Paul understood that that God, through laying on of hands, you know, encouraged receiving. That's what Paul did here in our passage in these seven verses. He laid hands on these 12 guys, just asked the Lord to fill them with his power. So, Paul was baptized in the Holy Spirit. When Peter arrived in Acts 10 at Cornelius' house, and he realized that this was a setup that the Lord had made, and the house was full of Gentiles, and and Peter began to speak, and he brought six guys with him because he was pretty sure he was going to get in trouble with the Jerusalem church for preaching to Gentiles. 
As he began to speak, and he didn't speak long, as he began to speak, the people so hungry for the Lord, it says, opened their hearts. And while Peter was speaking, they received the Lord. And it says the Holy Spirit fell upon them at the exact same time. It's the only place that you really find them happening concurrently, if you will. When Peter was done, and I don't know how long he went, they then took everybody outside and baptized them in water. So you have salvation, baptism in water, and the infilling, the baptism of the experience of the Lord coming upon them for service. And when Peter got called out in Acts 11 by the Jerusalem big shots and said, hey, what do you think you're doing preaching to Gentiles? Peter went, I got six guys that went with me. I'm telling you, we just walked in there. And just like it happened to us in Acts 2, he didn't say that, but that's where it happened. Just like it happened in Acts 2, it happened to us. As we heard the word, as they heard the word, and as the Holy Spirit fell, just like that. They just heard the God, and they were filled. And, and, and everybody went, well, I guess that's the way the Lord's going to work. And that's what, which led, led eventually to that uh, Acts uh, 15 meeting in Jerusalem to determine, gosh, this is just the way God begins to say. So um, here in verse 6 of our text, he shares the gospel more fully. These men, 12 of them, receive the Lord. They get saved. They are baptized in water, and then Paul takes it a step forward. Why? Because that's what we need, God's power. It's the defining mark of the activities of the church in the first century. It is stamped in six different chapters with only one intent, making sure that you and I rely on the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Again here, verse 6, we see speaking in tongues and prophecy following Paul will spend three chapters when he writes to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, addressing specifically the gifts of the Holy Spirit um, and the vocal gifts and all, especially tongues and prophecy, which are mentioned here. So the evidence for the, power, for the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the necessity of it, from a biblical standpoint, in the review of the narrative, is overwhelming. Why do you suppose the early church made such an issue of it? Of it? Why do you suppose Jesus went so far as to say, now you're saved and going to heaven, but hang in here. You're not ready just yet. And yet every place you find God's Spirit at work, there is this mention of this, this outpouring of God's Spirit. And, and the disciples, the early disciples, were so assured in their own hearts that they needed it that they took that same message to every place that they went to preach. They'd never left that out. That wasn't, that wasn't a a part of the equation only. It, was, it had to be an active part of what they were doing. And they followed it to be so. In, 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 Acts, no, no, not Acts, in John chapter 7, um, when Jesus came to the Feast of Tabernacles in Jerusalem, the, the celebration consisted basically of seven days where the priests would take water up to the te- steps of the temple, and then they would just let the water kind of roll down the steps. And the people were to stand and to recognize that for 40 years in the wilderness, like kind of the cement, the Lord always provided for his people. The water was poured out for 40 years. On the eighth day of the, in the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, they didn't pour out any water. And the reason was they were to acknowledge that at some point the 40 years were up and the people had gotten into the land and there was water now. There were wells that were dug. and They didn't dig them, but now the Lord gave them water in the land. 
So on that eighth day, John 7, Jesus stands up and he cries out with a loud voice to the people, He who believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And then John, because he wrote after the fact, writes down as explanation, he was talking about the Spirit whom the believers would receive, for as yet the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. But he talked about this this life where out of this life would flow rivers of living water, very descriptive words. Not a trickle, but a raging river, right? Out of the lives of the, of the believer, as, as Jesus would give his life, and so we could be those those, those men and women that God would use. So John said that we were more, we're more than vessels for God to fill, we're containers for God to pour out. We're, we're more than just intakers, we, we also take in and then pour out and come back and get filled again. And this, this, this concept of the vessel is, is constant. So God wants you to go out in the world and splash his spirit on the right people at the right time with the right words as he kind of leads you as a container for him. The chief purpose in the, in the book of Acts for the baptism of the Holy Spirit was a power to be a witness. That's, that's the bottom line. Power to be his witness, to speak up, to live it out, and to have it be seen. When we talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, uh, most times people ask about tongues. That seems to be more worrisome to them than anything else. It, it is by far the least gift in the scriptures as far as usage. It is by far the only gift that is beneficial to you personally. All the other gifts are used to serve others. Um, when people ask, do I have to speak in tongues to have the baptism of the Holy Spirit? They usually go back to the scriptures and they say, well, do all speak in tongues? And no, they don't. And they read you that verse out of 1 Corinthians and they, they figure that's their, um, their argument. I would say this to you. Of the six times in the book of Acts, baptism of the Holy Spirit is mentioned. We see the gifts of tongues in chapter 2, chapter 8, chapter 9, implied in chapter 10 because uh, they heard something they weren't sure what it was, chapter 19 here as well. So five of the six show that. We, we know from 1 Corinthians 14 that, that Paul, as he begins to speak about tongues, says that he that speaks in a tongue uh, doesn't speak to men, but he speaks to God because uh, only God understands him. So for, from God's standpoint, the gift of tongues is a language that man doesn't profit from. Paul will go on to say, uh, you speak in tongues, your mind is not fruitful because you don't even know what you're saying or you don't understand it. And if it was to be used publicly, that there would have to be an interpreter or else no one would be able to say amen. So a couple of provisions for tongues. Number one, it's a language that, that God understands, man doesn't. It doesn't help your outlook or, or there's no ministry in tongues, so to speak, um, except you, you sing the praises of God in a language you, you don't know or you pray and seek the Lord in a language you don't understand. It puts your mind on hold and faith on, on the forefront. And you may never speak out in, in, in a church service because then you would need an interpreter and then only would it be beneficial. But Paul in 1 Corinthians 14 says, He that speaks in an unknown tongue edifies himself. Or as somebody who would prophesy, they'll build up the church. And that's the point I'm getting to. The gift of tongues is a, a gift that is usable for you personally. You edify you. If you believe that the Bible says, and it does, 
that no good gifts will God withhold from those who walk uprightly, then I have to believe that, that for us, the gift of tongues is a necessary uh, arsenal in our backpack of seeking the Lord. And, and that's why you find it so often. Will you use it in an official sense? Maybe never. And that's certainly what 1 Corinthians talks about when they say, do all speak in tongues. It's in the context of a group meeting and people speaking out. But if, if you had a gift of tongue that you knew you could worship God without understanding, you could pray perfectly in God's will without having to figure out what that was, and it allows you to just kind of step out there by faith, then you're edified, you're built up. It's a gift that is just for you and no one else. Uh, it is for you individually. Um, so rather than do I have to, I, I, I think the question should be, don't I get to? And you can get to if you want to, because God makes that available to you. How does that happen? Pretty much the way you get saved, you, you speak out. <laughs> How did you get saved? Well, ask the Lord. To, you, you, it didn't just happen without you opening your mouth. No, you had to ask. I came, I confessed. Same thing with tongues. I think as you, if you believe that from the scriptural standpoint, this is what God has available, then you ask. And then you speak out. Jesus said um, in Luke chapter 11, for example, to you, the, you know, ask and it'll be given to you. And seek and you find. Knock and the door shall be opened. For everyone who receives or who, who asks receives. He who seeks finds. He who knocks, it will be opened to him. If a son, a son would ask his father for uh, bread, would, would, he, would the father give him a stone? And the answer was, well, of course not. And if you asked the father for a fish, would you give him a serpent? No. Or if he asked for an egg, would you give him a scorpion? Of course not. And then the Lord said this, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more do you suppose that the Father will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So you've got to ask, Lord, fill me with your Spirit. And not just tonight, but, but every day. Let, Lord, fill me. I can't get through a day without your help without your power, without your help in my life. You, you'll read there in Acts 4, we mentioned to you that when they prayed, the place was shaken. They were again filled with the Holy Spirit, and they left that place speaking the word of God with boldness. So you ask. Don't ask wavering. Ask in faith. Be ready for the Lord to use you. The Holy Spirit is with you if you're not saved tonight. And if he's just with you, you should give your life to Christ. That's why he brought you. That's why he... He speaks to you. That's what he's trying to convince you of, your sinfulness and his grace. If the Lord is dwelling in you because you've gotten saved, then you need to be filled with God's Spirit. You need the experience of God's Spirit being poured out upon your life. And you'll notice the difference. And then you can begin to ask God for those gifts that will help you to serve the Lord. It's an important lesson from the book of Acts that's just laid out time and time and time again. I think that the reason the church is not so successful today is because we've gone away from the relying on the Holy Spirit. And we've started to rely on businesses and, and marketing schemes and, 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 and the kind of advertising that the world does to sell a car. Whatever it is, you know, we don't any longer just go, Lord, you work, you save, you deliver. But that's where our power lies. It lies for, for, with him upon our lives. Don't you agree? So we need that. Is the power and infilling of the Holy Spirit a part of your Christian life? If not, 
Ask God to fill you today with his Holy Spirit. He will certainly honor that request. We've been listening to a study taken from Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 7. This has been the second half and conclusion of a two-part study taught by Pastor Jack Abelan. If you'd like to get the entire message, we do have that available for you. All you need to do to order, simply contact us and ask for study number 3073. It's always helpful for us to know the radio station that you're listening to, so be sure to mention those call letters once you get a hold of us. And as we're studying through the book of Acts, we'd like to let you know that we have all of Pastor Jack's teachings through the book of Acts on a single MP3 USB flash drive. Well, this way you can go back and listen to any previous studies, or you can stop and start, or you can share these amazing studies of the Acts of the First Century Church with a friend or family member. So if you'd like to order Pastor Jack's studies through the book of Acts, all in the MP3 format on a single USB flash drive, or to get today's study, just dial our toll-free phone number at 866-88-GRACE. That's 866-884-7223. Again, that's 866-884-7223. You can also order by mail. Just address your letter to Growing Through Grace, P.O. Box 1954, Whittier, California, 90609. Or this and all of our resources are available online at growingthroughgrace.com. Again, that's growingthroughgrace.com. That's going to wrap it up, not only for today, but for this week. But we do look forward to being with you again in our next program. So until then, as you daily walk with our Lord Jesus Christ, may you continue to grow in His grace. Point Through Grace is a listener-supported ministry brought to you by Morningstar Christian Chapel in Whittier, California, a Calvary Chapel outreach.